Hey friends, just dropping in here before I officially start the episode to tell you that there is still time to apply for the winter session of my Wild Food Mentorship, which runs from November 2019 through January 2020, but space is limited to just 20 people and more than half of those spots are already accounted for. There are still a few spots left uh, that you can apply for by visiting thegoodliferevival.com slash mentor. I would love to work with you this winter. Nothing brings me greater joy than sharing what I know about foraging for edible wild plants. And today's episode is a great example of the kind of tutoring that I offer. Again, that's thegoodliferevival.com slash mentor. And be sure to get your application in before the deadline of October 31st, 2019. There is no food that means more to me than the acorn. For the acorn fulfills both a promise and a fantasy that the forest will provide for me. Sam Thayer, Nature's Garden. This is the Good Life Revival Podcast. I am your host, Sam Sycamore, and I'm coming to you from my off-grid sanctuary in the mountains of northern coastal California in the first half of October 2019. If it sounds like I'm recording from inside a metal box, well, I kind of am. (laughs) I was sitting in the back of my rusty old truck this morning where it is much warmer than uh, my cabin tucked back in the shade of the redwoods and and the tan oaks where it does not really catch any sunshine this time of year as I'm learning. So it kind of stays pretty chilly in there all day long. Uh, In the weeks since the last episode of the podcast, I have been continuously hard at work trimming my cannabis crop, and I'm almost done at this point, but man, it has been a lot of work. I also had a birthday at the beginning of the month. Uh, Your boy is now 33 years young, and I gotta say, I, I feel like I'm in the best health I've ever been in. You know, I'm, I'm definitely in the best shape physically of my whole life, and uh, just in general, I, I continue to feel like the coolest version of myself uh, that I've that I've ever been, you know, up to this point. And, and so, yeah, no complaints out of me about getting older. I, I just seem to enjoy each passing year more than the last. It's all a matter of perspective, I suppose. Anyway, wouldn't you know it, just as the cannabis uh, croptober is coming to an end, uh, now, arguably, the most important harvest of the season is just beginning. I am speaking, of course, about acorns. Uh, In fact, I was just out yesterday east of San Jose here in California with my girlfriend and my dog, and uh, we were out looking for acorns, and it was looking like we were too early. Um, all the trees we were coming across were still just full of green acorns, uh, nothing really on the ground. But we kept on hiking through the afternoon, and when you know it, eventually we hit the jackpot and scored probably about 40 pounds, maybe a little more, of some of the biggest and most beautiful acorns I, I think I've ever seen. And this is not unique to California, my friends. Acorns are now dropping all across the Northern Hemisphere. And somehow, tragically, the vast majority of humans are not going to go out and gather them for food to store away for the winter. What a crazy world we live in. (laughs) I don't know how many other ways I can say it. (laughs) Thankfully, you can go out and gather, process, and eat acorns. And I can teach you everything you need to know to get started. So that is the plan for this episode of the podcast. How and why to eat acorns. But before we dig in, I must offer my most sincere gratitude to listeners Carrie, Dave, and Grant. All of whom were kind enough to become subscribers on Patreon since the last episode of the podcast. Over at patreon.com slash goodliferevival. If you're not familiar, Patreon is a crowdfunding platform like Kickstarter or GoFundMe, but it's specifically designed for serial creators like me, who are making new stuff on a regular basis. And it is my sole source of income from this podcast. 
Uh, so this show is 100% funded by listeners just like you who, who step up to pitch in a dollar or more on a monthly basis. Pledging your support on Patreon is the most surefire way to ensure that I can afford to keep investing my time in this work. And it's also just a huge morale booster uh, for me every time I see a new pledge come through. There's lots of bonus multimedia content that I share over there, uh, like all of the music that I make for this show. Because yes, all of the music you hear on this show is made by me. But honestly, I get the impression that most people who pitch in on Patreon aren't really all that interested in the extra stuff that I share. And they're just excited to support me. And that is amazing. Thank you all so much. Uh, whatever the reason is why you <laughs> give me money. I, I just can't thank you enough. It boggles my mind every time I think about it. If you would like to join your dear sweet peers on Patreon, uh, one more time, that is patreon.com slash goodliferevival. Thank you for being here. Now, today on the show, like I said, we're going to dig into the wonderful world of oaks and acorns. We'll talk about the taxonomy and ecology of oaks. Uh, we'll learn about some of the primary defining characteristics of oaks and major differences between types of oaks that we might encounter in North America. And from there, once we've got that groundwork established, then we will review the simple what I think of as a six-step process for eating acorns, from gathering to processing to cooking, and all the rest in between. By the time we get through with our lecture today, you should be well-equipped with everything you need to know to safely and efficiently begin to incorporate acorns, uh, potentially as a staple, into your diet. Acorns are among the most common and ubiquitous nuts you're likely to find almost anywhere on Earth, but especially across the Northern Hemisphere. And it doesn't matter whether you're in some remote woodlands or in the heart of a major city. Today, in our modern era, for reasons that I mostly struggle to make sense of, <laughs> we tend to think of them as like squirrel food at best, <laughs> and a lot of suburban homeowners actually kind of despise their oak trees for the supposed nuisance they cause when they drop their acorns in the fall. It really just blows my mind to consider that most humans alive on the planet right now don't know that you can eat acorns <laughs> when in fact there was a time on earth really not that long ago when pretty much all humans in temperate climates where oaks exist included them as a staple in their diets with some cultures said to have consumed as much as 50 percent of their total annual calories from acorns now of course there are a lot of complicated reasons why this is so you know why we don't eat acorns anymore um, mostly owing, I think, to the myopia of our modern civilization and its general inability to reconcile abundant free wild food in economic terms. You know, if you, if you can't make sense of it financially, then it's just like not a thing that we do or talk about, <laughs> it seems. <laughs> uh, there's also the fact that oak in general is is more valuable to colonizers as wood than as food and so for the last several centuries people of european descent have been massacring what was essentially uh, just a few massive oak dominated ecosystems that stretched out in every direction across north america from the eastern seaboard to the pacific coast and this was no accident, you know, it didn't, it didn't happen by accident. <laughs> this continental oak forest garden that used to be one of the primary features of North America. No, this was very much intentionally cultivated by the indigenous peoples of this continent across several millennia. This is a fact that mostly eluded European colonizers, who thought this place must be some pristine, untouched paradise that the native peoples played no role in, somehow. <laughs> uh, this is something that John Muir famously, egregiously missed the mark on, you know? The, the West was never untouched wilderness. It was always intentionally managed by loving, caring stewards 
who rightly revere it as the wellspring of all life and culture. And here's the thing, this reverence for the land and for species like the oak is not unique to the indigenous peoples of North America. All of us from temperate regions on the planet share this common feature if, if you trace our lineage back far enough. If you remember nothing else from this episode of the podcast, I hope you'll take this away with you. Acorns are human food. Oaks want us to eat their nuts, which is partly why they drop so many. <laughs> they expect us to eat them. Why would we not take them up on a lifetime of free meals? If we lived in anything approaching a sane, rational culture, acorns would be a fixture of our daily diet, as ubiquitous as white bread. Standing in stark contrast to all conventional alternatives, acorns are more nutritious, more abundant, and require significantly less work and arguably no environmental degradation to obtain a yield, at least on like a personal or community scale. Um, and, you know, if you've ever tried to grow your own grains, I, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, try to grow a year's supply of wheat uh, for yourself, and uh, you will be that much more grateful <laughs> for how, how, how little work is required to eat acorns by comparison. As Sam Thayer states so simply in his book Nature's Garden, quote, the world looks different when you eat acorns, end quote. This is no exaggeration. Uh, I, I, I really, truly believe that, and I, I feel it. I've, I've converted people to the other side, and I've seen how it, how it changes a person's perspective. After you eat your first meal with them, you will never look at an acorn or an oak tree the same way again. When properly dried and stored, Acorns can remain shelf-stable for up to a decade, uh, possibly longer. I, I can't stress it enough, this is one of very few wild crops that can be pretty easily incorporated into your daily diet as a primary source of high-quality calories and nutrients year-round. Aside from everything I've just mentioned, uh, acorns, uh, I mean, eating them, the, the whole process, really, it's, I just think it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, being out in the woods with people you like, just crawling around on the ground, picking up acorns, and getting really excited when you find an especially big or cool-looking one, you know, and then and then the process, of, the whole thing, everything about gathering acorns is just fun. It feels really good, you know, it's something that, I think it's one of those activities that kind of awakens our our sense of our ancestral selves you know um, the act of gathering nuts off the ground is something that hominids have been doing for as long as they've crawled around on on earth right <laughs> we can we can trace this sort of activity back to our earliest ancestors and to be able to act out these these most basic movements and and instinctual patterns and rhythms just feels good i i can't recommend it highly enough all right i think i've made my case for why you should be eating acorns hopefully you've now been persuaded if you were on the fence at the start so now let's uh let's talk about some taxonomy because i think it is really important to understand not just the individual species we're working with, but how they fit into the broader evolutionary context of all the rest of the species that they coexist with. Taxonomy, if you're not familiar, is the branch of biology that's concerned with the classification of organisms. So this is where binomial nomenclature comes from, uh, which you might know as, as a species Latin name, right? Like Homo sapiens. Homo, in this case, is the genus, and sapiens is the species. When we talk about taxonomy, um, for plants anyway, uh, the most important ranks to know are the top three in the hierarchy, which um, from least specific to most specific goes family, then genus, and then species. 
If you can get to know the common traits that define the major plant families of the world, you can dramatically speed up the identification process of any individual species you come across. And that's a really big part of what I teach through my, my wild food mentorship program. Quercus, which is the name of the genus for, uh, for oaks. Uh, Quercus is in the Phagaceae family, also known as the beech family. Uh, and out of about 900 species in that family, over 600 of them are in the Quercus genus. Of those 600, North America is home to more than 200 species, uh, with a little more than half of those in Mexico and the rest in the U.S. and Canada. And they're found in pretty much every region and climate and biome. Um, there are also oak species that do not belong to the Quercus genus, uh, but they are pretty much all found outside of North America, with the single exception of the tan oak, which surrounds me here in the mountains of Santa Cruz County. Its Latin name is Nothalithocarpus densiflorus. Yeah, like I said, this is, this is the species that I have all around me in the, in the understory below the uh, redwoods. And unfortunately, it seems to be an off year for them in acorn production, which is, which is a shame. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that uh, a little bit later. Now, because the Quercus genus is so massive, it gets an extra set of taxonomical subdivisions called sections. It's basically just a way to group uh, similar species within a genus. So if you remember the hierarchy I just mentioned that goes from family to genus to species, the section is something that gets inserted in between genus and species. Um, and like I said, it's basically just a way to like help break down uh, a really, really big genus like Quercus. Here in North America, we observe species from three different sections of the Quercus genus. So we have the red and black oaks, which are unique to North America. Uh, we also have the white oaks, which are cosmopolitan, which is to say they're found all over the world. And then there are the intermediate oaks, uh, which is to say they're not exactly red oaks or white oaks, <laughs> and uh, they're also found all around the world. There are other sections that are unique to other continents, but I am a North American, <laughs> and so that's what we're going to stick with today. As far as I know, pretty much everything I have to say about acorns and oaks in general ought to apply anywhere on Earth. Um, but of course, you're going to find local variation everywhere you go. One thing I think is pretty interesting about oaks is that they love to hybridize between species, um, generally only between species within their own section. And white oaks, I'm told, tend to hybridize the most. This at least partly explains why there's so much diversity in this genus. Um, and also why it can be tough sometimes to get a definite 100% conclusive ID on any given specimen. In the realm of evolutionary biology, we would say that oaks have an especially high rate of gene flow between species, which is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> One key trait that separates the lobati, which is the red oak section, from the quercus, or white oak section, of the Quercus genus is that red oak acorns take two years to mature, while white oak acorns mature in a single growing season. Now, don't get it twisted, uh, both of these sections produce annual crops, so they will drop acorns every year, but red oaks always have a first and a second year crop in development hanging from the tree in, in the spring and summer. Check them out if you don't believe me on this. I was totally unaware of this until I went looking for it. But on on red oaks, at any given time, especially in the spring and summer, you know when they're when they're especially conspicuous, you can look up in the tree and you'll see this year's acorns. You know the the acorns that are going to drop in the fall, 
And right next to them, there'll be these teeny tiny little guys. They're actually called acornlets, you know, little acorns <laughs> that are just beginning to develop at the same time and won't mature until next year. Because the red oak acorns take longer to mature, they also last longer once they fall to the ground. One quirk about white oak acorns uh, is that they'll usually germinate and then wither and die not long after they drop in the fall. Uh, so the window to gather them is much smaller than the red oaks. The, the red oaks don't germinate until the spring after they, after they fall. And so in some places where you're not buried in snow, <laughs> like here in California, it's sometimes possible to gather viable nuts all through the winter months, uh, as long as other critters don't get to them first. Over the course of millions of years, through what you would call an evolutionary arms race, oaks have developed a really fascinating ecological strategy for maximizing their reproductive success rate, despite the sheer number of species that consume their nuts. So here's how it works. Defying any predictable patterns, in some seasons, entire populations of oaks will seem to synchronize to produce no acorns at all. This is actually a function of the fact that oak flowers are timed to bloom, specifically at a moment in the season when they could potentially be killed off by cold weather. Now this sounds counterproductive, you know, why, why would a tree want to bloom too early when, when its flowers are going to get killed? But the reason why this is so is that it effectively serves to starve many of the nut-gathering species who rely on acorns as a staple food, which severely cuts back their populations. Those same oaks will often follow that barren season with what we call a mast year, uh, in which they produce uh, an overabundance of acorns. And because there are now fewer nut eaters on the scene since they got starved out last year, those seeds that they produce this year in extreme abundance will have a much better chance of germinating. This is how the oak serves to bring balance to the woodlands. Aside from these ecological differences between the red oak section and the white oak section, oaks also display a massive range of physical traits which makes sense when you remember, like I said, that they're found in so many different climates. Generally speaking, and this is very general, red oak leaves tend to have pointed lobes that terminate in a bristle, whereas white oaks usually have blunted, rounded lobes with no bristles. Of course, many species have leaves with no lobes at all, like the tan oaks out here, so this feature is not always helpful. Here in Northern California, we have, like I said, the tan oaks, which I've been talking about a little bit, uh, and which I'm told are arguably the best tasting of all the acorns in North America, though I do not have enough first-hand experience to make that judgment call. But I can say they are some of the biggest acorns I've ever come across. Unfortunately, that potent combo of land misuse coupled with climate disruption means the tan oak is currently in severe decline. It sort of requires uh, a healthy redwood ecosystem, and it, it thrives in the understory beneath the redwoods. And as the redwoods go, so goes the tan oaks. They're also especially susceptible to this really tragic disease called sudden oak death, which, again, is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. In addition to the tan oak, uh, out here we also have the coast live oak, which really seems to thrive in the dry Mediterranean chaparral systems we have out here. There's also the California black oaks and the blue oaks, which are some of the more drought-tolerant oak species on the planet. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to check out all the different uh, acorns out here. I'm pretty sure the ones we were gathering yesterday were blue oaks. They may have been black oaks. I'm, I'm still learning uh, my oaks out here in California, but I'm hoping to gather a decent amount of all of the different species out here so I can, uh, I can compare and contrast, you know, do some, do some taste testing. 
you will have to do some further research into the species found in your area so you can learn how to identify them beyond the genus. Thankfully, there really isn't anything else on Earth that I'm aware of that looks anything like an acorn. So if you know what an acorn looks like, you don't really have to worry whether you've got a coast live oak or an inland live oak or a blue oak or a black oak or a tan oak. If it looks like an acorn, <laughs> you can eat it. It's an acorn. And I'm pretty sure, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of times when you're talking about wild foods, people will offer these, like, really strong disclaimers, you know, like, if you get sick or if you make a mistake, you know, you can't hold me accountable for, for this. But <laughs> in this particular instance, I, I feel pretty confident saying that I think you know what an acorn looks like, <laughs> so I'm not too worried about you, dear listener, uh, making a mistake on this one. But just, you know, make sure you really have an acorn and it's not something else. <laughs> okay, that's, that's enough of that. As you're probably well aware, uh, if you've been living on Earth for most of your life, <laughs> autumn is the season of the acorn. Uh, for most of the Northern Hemisphere, oaks will begin dropping their earliest nuts, usually sometime in September, but for the first couple weeks, they will all be the failed rejects that the tree is aborting for one reason or another before uh, the, the crop fully ripens. Usually it's the result of bacteria or fungus or acorn weevils. By October, most oaks will begin dropping their viable nuts. Uh, this will go through October into November in most places. And then at this time, it is a race against the critters of the forest. <laughs> or maybe the snow, depending on where you live. Then it's, you know, this time of year is the race to scoop up as many acorns as possible, as quickly as possible. So, okay, so October is now here. You, my friend, are gearing up for your first ever acorn harvest. You found some good trees in your area, and you're ready to get started. So let's talk about the process. You ready? All right, here is the brief rundown. It goes like this. First we gather, then we sort, then we dry and store, then we crack and shell, then we grind and leach, and then we cook and eat. So let's go over all of these steps in greater detail. First, we gather. Now there are two general approaches to gathering acorns. Um, they both have their own pros and cons, so I would encourage you to experiment with both and see which one you prefer. In the first instance, uh, you would go out into the woods with the goal of gathering as many acorns as possible as fast as possible and plan to sort them at a later date. In this case, there's some tools that exist uh, that you might consider trying out. There's a company called Garden Weasel that makes this rolling nut gathering tool. Um, shout out to Garden Weasel. They're not like sponsoring me or anything, but I've used one of these before. They're, they're pretty sweet. It's, uh, it's not necessary by any means, but it might be a good option for someone who doesn't necessarily have the luxury of spending many days out in the woods. You know, if you just need to, like, get out, pick them up as quick as you can, get back home, uh, and keep living your life, you might look into something like the Garden Weasel. It also has its limitations, but, yeah, you'll, you'll see. <laughs> the, the downside to this approach, you know, trying to gather as many as you can and not worrying about sorting them in the field, as uh, you never really know how many of those acorns you're picking up are actually going to be good, uh, which means you could end up hauling out a whole lot of nuts that you're just going to end up discarding later. I've heard of accounts of as little as 20% viability out of a season's acorn crop. So you could end up wasting a lot of time and energy hauling around unusable nuts if your goal is just to get as many as possible. After speaking with a lot of folks who make acorns a staple in their diet, it seems to me that a lot of the seasoned vets out there prefer to do most of their sorting out in the field while they're gathering. 
this means that you will be bending over, squatting, and crawling around with hands and knees across the forest floor and scoping out each nut individually. Maybe this sounds tedious, but once you develop an eye for the, the main traits that distinguish a bad acorn from a good one, I think you'll find that this latter approach significantly cuts down on the overall amount of time required in gathering and sorting. I don't know, there's something just about the experience of just crawling around and picking up each acorn one at a time, feeling it with your fingers, looking it over real quickly and, and tossing it in your basket. Yeah, like I said, it, it just feels good. It's an enjoyable thing to do. I, I would highly recommend meandering, taking your time, <laughs> you know, a lot of people will talk about maximizing efficiency. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I'm about maximizing pleasure in this instance. So yeah, take your sweet time. Enjoy it. According to Sam Thayer, five gallons of acorns produces roughly 12 to 18 pounds of dried shelled nut meat, which is enough for one person to subsist on entirely for about eight days. Meaning, if you had a five-gallon bucket of acorns, you could eat uh, 2,000 calories worth of them uh, for the next eight days. <laughs> if you intended to consume a 400-calorie serving of acorns per meal, um, those five gallons would yield 40 such meals. Uh, thus... In order to eat acorns on a daily basis for a year, you would want to gather about 40 to 50 gallons for yourself after sorting them. Uh, if you're not planning to use them right away, you will want to keep acorns from different species separate, uh, mostly because drying times are going to vary. Um, if you're going to use them fresh, this is less of a concern but I wouldn't necessarily recommend using them fresh. It's, they're kind of a pain in the ass to sort if they're, or not to sort rather. They're kind of a pain in the ass to shell if they're not dried, but yeah, experiment with it. Don't be afraid to, to play around. Now let's talk about sorting. Um, so whether you choose to sort in the field as you're gathering or back at home after you've already done your gathering, there's a few things to look out for to clue you in to the fact that a nut might be no good. Uh, when in doubt, you can always just crack the shell open and see what's inside. Uh, I would highly recommend you that you uh, do this, especially the first few times that you go out. Uh, you pick one up, it kind of looks funny, you're not sure if it's going to be good. Uh, just crack that bad boy open, see what it looks like on the inside. The more you do that, the better you'll get a sense for like what sort of damage or discoloration means the nut is no good versus what is, you know, just a surface superficial damage um, that might still have a good nut inside. The first thing you're going to look for is the presence of the cap. If the cap is still attached to the acorn and doesn't easily slip off, like without any kind of a pressure applied to it, this is a sign that the acorn was likely aborted or got knocked out like by the wind or, or by a critter before it matured fully. But uh, yeah, when, when a nut is defective, the tree will always prefer to shed it rather than investing any more energy into it. And so it might opt to just drop it cap and all to the ground. So yeah, if you see a cap that's still attached to the nut, just skip it. The next most conspicuous defect will be the presence of an exit hole made by a weevil. If you've ever picked up an acorn and noticed a small black hole, it's about the size of a pencil lead, this is the telltale sign that a weevil has already eaten all of the nut meat inside and has since exited the shell because there's nothing left in there. <laughs> so yeah, we see the weevil hole, no good, toss it aside. After that, um, the main area of concern is the disc. This is the circle at the top of the acorn where the cap uh, used to connect to the shell. Um, there's lots of different types of like discolored streaks or spots that you'll see that occur on or around the disc. 
that might indicate bacterial or a fungal infection. Or you might notice the disc is like separated from the shell, or it's bulging out, or it's, it's sunken in. A good, healthy disc should have no noticeable discolorations or, or damage. You're also just going to want to look the, the whole nut over, check out the whole shell. Uh, you'll sometimes see dark streaks or lines or cracks running through the shell. All of these can be indicators that the nut might be no good. Finally, one of the last things you're going to want to look out for um, are any nuts with a dying sprout. Uh, this is something that you'll see more commonly with white oaks when they, they start to germinate after they drop in the fall. If you see a healthy sprout, that indicates that the acorn is still alive and the nut is likely still viable inside. But a dead or dying sprout may indicate that a weevil has eaten the nut while it was growing. Healthy sprouted acorns are still edible, but they'll have to be consumed right away. Some acorns will display cracks on the disc or along the seam of the shell. This is a fairly normal occurrence and doesn't necessarily mean that the nut is no good. Um, so don't worry too much about cracks, you know, keep, hang on to those. And while color is a pretty good indicator of ripeness when it comes to acorns, some will still have green shells when they drop. But as long as the cap is separated from the acorn and you don't see any other defects, those nuts are still good to eat. Though this may sound like a lot to look out for, in practice you will rarely observe all of these defects under a single tree. More often, defective acorns from the same tree will have all succumbed to the same kind of fungus or bacteria or weevil. Sometimes, as, as was the case with the acorns that I was gathering yesterday, virtually none of the nuts will have any issues at all. <laughs> Other times, entire crops may be ruined. Oh, and one more thing to look out for is what Sam Thayer calls imposters. These are acorns that look perfectly fine when you gather them, but they actually contain immature weevils that have not yet exited the nut. After you let them sit for a few days, though, uh, you'll soon begin to notice these telltale black holes, like I mentioned. But since you've already brought them home, they will be accompanied by actual white grubs <laughs> next to your acorns. If you suspect that your crop might be full of imposters, uh, you can shell a handful of them and find out, then you're probably going to want to eat them immediately before the weevils can do all of their work. And if you're thinking, well, gosh, doesn't that mean I'd be eating acorns that have weevils in them? <laughs> the answer is, uh, yeah. Um, actually, acorn weevils themselves are perfectly edible. And as you might expect, uh, I'm told they taste remarkably like acorns. Some people really like frying them up. I've never tried them myself, but I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it. So, yeah, if you end up with uh, too many weevil-filled acorns, maybe it's time to start eating weevils, my friend. All right, so that's it on sorting. Now let's talk about drying and storing your acorns. So after you've gathered and sorted, you're either going to want to use them right away, which, like I said, I would not really recommend unless you need to for some reason, or else you're going to dry them so you can store them for later. We don't generally think of them this way, but acorns, like all seeds and nuts, are living organisms. As such, they can easily spoil, which is to say die, <laughs> if not properly handled. So to preserve your acorns for safekeeping, they first need to be dried. There are many ways to accomplish this, but the main considerations are time, surface area, temperature, species, and protection from other nut-loving animals. According to Sam Thayer, any given species can take from 1 to as many as 18 weeks to fully dry. 
red acorns dry more quickly than white acorns of the same size. And some, especially large white acorns, I've read will essentially never dry completely and thus are better for eating fresh. You, like I said, you'll just have to experiment with the species on your local landscape to discover the ideal drying time. But it's probably going to be in the ballpark of a couple weeks. No matter the species or amount of time required, acorns need to be spread out one nut deep across a large flat surface to dry. Uh, a lot of people use like metal baking trays for this purpose, but don't feel like you need like some specialized gear for this. You could really just take like the lids off some plastic containers or yeah, any, anything that's like wide and shallow and flat <laughs> will will do the trick. You know, just think about the fact that you're going to have to juggle uh, a big plate of acorns, right? So, like, don't use anything that's too big or, or heavy or it's going to be cumbersome to move around. As for a heat source, you might opt to dry them in the sun. Here in the Bay Area, California, thankfully it stays warm and sunny enough through nut season that I'm told you can pretty much just set your acorns in front of a sunny window out here and and they'll fully dry just sitting inside your house other places in the northern hemisphere do not have that luxury you might have to put them outside in the sun in which case you'll have to devise some way to keep other animals from stealing them while they're sitting out maybe you toss some mesh over it uh something like that if it gets cold outside or um, you get a lot of dew in the, the dawn hours, you'll want to be mindful to bring your acorns inside your house at night and then take them back out in the morning so they don't just get wet and uh, nullify this whole drying process. If you have access to a warm attic or garage, you might lay down a tarp or, or a sheet and spread your nuts out to dry there. Or you might do like Sam Thayer does and set them out adjacent to the dry heat of your wood stove if your home is so equipped. When fully dry, the nut meat inside will be shrunken and hard and the shell will be much, much easier to crack uh, than it is when it's fresh. You can periodically crack a few while they're drying to see how they're coming along. Like I said, the drier the acorn, the easier it will be to crack, and the nut meat itself will also separate from the shell pretty easily. Once your nuts are fully dried, uh, your acorns are now ready to be stored in pest-proof containers where they will theoretically remain shelf-stable for several years to come. Just keep them somewhere cool and shady, uh, you know, not too hot, not too cold. Don't let them freeze. Don't let them melt. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you'll be able to eat them for years to come. All right, now our acorns are dried. They are ready for long-term storage, but we're not ready to store them away just yet. We want to eat some. <laughs> so now let's talk about cracking and shelling. No two ways about it, my friends. This is probably the most labor-intensive part of the whole process. There are lots of tools you might consider using to speed things up, but uh, you're probably better off learning to do it with uh, just, you know, a basic plain old hammer or uh, some rocks. <laughs> you can try some fancier gadgets if you want, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really not necessary. You know, I, I really prefer to introduce stuff like this by making it as accessible as possible. So like, I'm not gonna like review a bunch of nut uh, crackers on Amazon or something. I'm just gonna say, find a rock, go get your hammer, practice cracking the shells one at a time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's tedious, <laughs> for sure. Um, it's one of those things that's much better done in the company of people you like. Maybe you sit down and put on a podcast or watch a movie. It's going to take some time, but it'll be worth it. Sam Thayer, again, I, I keep bringing this up, his chapter on oaks and acorns in his book Nature's Garden is worth its weight in gold. I honestly can't recommend it enough. 
uh, most of what I know about oaks and acorns can be traced back to uh, Sam Thayer. But anyway, uh, Sam Thayer describes a method that he calls the towel method, which basically involves laying your acorns on a towel on top of a hard floor, and then you take a big, flat, heavy piece of wood that he calls a stomper, and you just kind of smash them all uh, in, in big chunks across your, your towel there. I haven't tried this yet, but I, I will probably do that this year and see if I can get it to work right. I imagine it's going to take some playing around with, but it sounds much more efficient than doing it one at a time. It also doesn't require any sort of like specialized gear. So you're cracking your acorns, you're separating the shells from the nut meat. Uh, easiest way to do that is just with your fingers. People have devised fancy ways of, of, you know, separating them. I just use my fingers. That works fine for me. <laughs> Along the way, as you're, as you're cracking, you're almost certainly going to find insect damage or, or other kinds of defects on some of your nut meat. And depending on how much of the nut is affected, you might just opt to cut around the damage and, and salvage the rest rather than tossing out the whole thing. You know, if you just see like a black spot in the corner of the nut meat, you could just cut it off and then the rest is still good to go. Finally, you might want to remove the testa from the shelled nut meat. The testa is the thin, papery membrane that surrounds the cotyledon of the acorn, kind of like a peanut. It's not necessary to remove, but it's often especially high in tannins, um, and so it might be worth your while to get rid of it before you process any further. The testa of some species will readily slip off, but for others, you can immerse the nut meat in water or, or dampen them with a spray bottle and then uh, let them dry real quickly and the, and the testa will come off a lot more easily that way. Once they're separated, then you can winnow the testa away from the nut meat. All right, so we've cracked and shelled our acorns. Now it's time to grind and leach them. So for this step, uh, I just want to note that I'm going to be teaching a cold leaching method. There are lots and lots of different ways to leach tannins out of the acorns to make them edible to humans. Um, I think the cold leaching method is one of the simplest ways to, to make it happen, and so I think it's probably the best way to learn. But just know that you know there's, there's lots of other ways to do this, some involving hot water, uh, which goes a lot more quickly, but you will need to adjust some things along the way. So we've got our bowl full of freshly shelled nut meat. Now it's time to grind it. Uh, how you choose to grind it is up to you. Maybe you go old school with a mortal and pestle, Maybe use a blender, a food processor, maybe you just go with a big rock. <laughs> In any case, the goal is to get your nut meat ground up as fine as possible. And the more uniformly fine, the better. The, the finer it is, the, the more readily the tannins will leach out. I've heard that a corn mill is really good for this process. You're probably familiar with the basic mechanics. It just has like a hopper up top. Um, you spin, it's like a hand crank that you turn and it spits out the ground up meat at the bottom. I think I'm probably gonna end up investing in one of those this season because I anticipate having a large supply of acorns. Um, so yeah, if I end up getting one of those, I will report back with uh, how it worked for me. Any case, once you've got your nuts ground up, then it's time to leach. So leaching is the process of removing the tannins from the acorns, which are the primary barrier that keeps us from just picking acorns up off the ground and eating them. Now, don't let anyone convince you that this species or that species produces a nut that's so sweet it doesn't even need to be leached. There is no such thing. I promise. <laughs> if you've ever nibbled on a raw acorn, maybe you noticed a pleasant sweetness uh, that was followed by a, a bitter, astringent flavor that causes your mouth to pucker. 
those are the tannins. If you're able to consume a large enough quantity, which would be physically difficult because your body tells you not to do it, <laughs> your unleached acorns could cause severe damage to your digestive system. So don't eat unleached acorns. And you'll also hear some people say like, oh, that species is no good because their acorns are really, really high in tannins, so they're too bitter to eat. That's nonsense too. Um, maybe they'll need to be leached more times or for a longer period of time, but all acorns need to be leached and all acorns can successfully be leached uh, to render them edible. Thankfully, this is very easy to do because tannins are water-soluble, which means in order to get them out of your nut meat, you basically just need to rinse it with water a bunch of times. And that is why there's so many different ways to do this, right? How you choose to rinse your nut meat mostly comes down to whatever specific method you're taught. So like I said, I'm going to teach you the cold leaching method that I like to use. Um, it's very passive, doesn't really require any energy. And it's, it's pretty obvious when your nut meat is ready to eat. So to cold leach your ground up nut meat, all you're gonna do is take a big mason jar and fill it up with equal parts ground up nut meat and water. Then uh, seal it with a lid, shake it up vigorously, and then stick it in your fridge and allow it to settle. After a few hours, all of the flour will fall to the bottom while the tannin rich water will rise to the top. So then you pour this water off you refill it with fresh water, uh, then shake it up and stick it back in the fridge and do the whole thing over. Um, you'll keep doing this for a period of probably a few days. Like I said, tannin content can vary pretty widely between species. So this is something that's gonna be specific to whatever kinds of acorns that you are working with. After you do this a few times over a few days, Eventually, all of the tannins will have been removed from your nut meat. Uh, sometimes this means the water will be clear when you're done. Um, this doesn't always happen due to many different factors. Your water won't necessarily be clear, but it's easy enough to give it a little taste test, uh, the nut meat, I mean, and uh, if it still tastes too bitter, then uh, that's a good sign that you still need to leach it some more. Fully leached acorn nut meat will not be bitter. It will taste awesome. <laughs> um, so really, don't, don't skimp on this part. Uh, besides the fact that tannins just taste really bad, like I said, they can make you sick if you consume too high a dose of them. So yeah, really make sure you leach your acorns thoroughly. Um, when in doubt, do it more than you need to, or more than you think you need to anyway. When you feel confident that all the tannins have finally been removed, uh, what you will be left with is a soggy quicksand-like substance, <laughs> which is your wet acorn flour. You can pour this into a cloth strainer to get the rest of the water to percolate out. Uh, and when it stops dripping, then you can kind of wring out the cloth with the acorn meal inside to remove most of the water. The final result here will be a clay-like dough ball. This is the point where it is now fully edible, ready to consume. I wouldn't recommend necessarily eating it raw. You're gonna be much happier if you cook it in something. But uh, yeah, at this point, you can cook with it right away, or you can toss it in the fridge where it'll keep for a few days, or you can stick it in your freezer where it will keep indefinitely. Some people will fully dry their acorn meal into a bona fide flour, but I don't think it's really necessary. And even when fully dry, uh, acorn flour still needs to be stored in the fridge. Otherwise, the fatty acids will go rancid pretty quickly at room temperature. Like I said, I prefer cold leaching because it's pretty passive and doesn't really require any energy. Um, you might also consider hot leaching. One of the main benefits of the hot leaching method is that you will have an edible flower in a matter of hours rather than days. 
but when you hot leech, you end up losing a lot more of the uh, starch and, and a lot of the nutrients. But again, as long as you do it thoroughly, uh, there really is no right or wrong way to leach your acorns. And there are many traditional and modern methods out there that are worth investigating. But uh, yeah, like I said, I, I think cold leaching is the simplest place to start. Now, you've put in the work. You, you took all the time. It's been, it's been weeks or, or maybe months <laughs> since you went out and gathered the damn things. And now, finally, it is time to cook and eat your acorns. One of the other things that's cool about cold leaching the acorns um, is because, because they retain more of their starch content, the flour that you get at the end uh, tends to bind together a little bit better than if you had hot leached your acorns. But even still, one of the one of the drawbacks to working with acorn flour is that it really doesn't bind together very well compared to more conventional flours like uh, like you know your standard issue wheat flour. So when you're when you're baking with acorn flour, you're still probably going to want to mix it with uh, something like wheat or or buckwheat flour. The ideal ratio is going to depend on a lot of different factors. Uh, in my experience, if you try to go for like a one-to-one -one ratio, you might be pushing it a little bit. Usually you're going to want a little bit more of a conventional flour compared to the acorn flour. But uh, yeah, don't be afraid to experiment. As for what to actually do with your acorn flour, the sky's the limit, my friend. It lends itself well to both sweet and savory applications. So think about different kinds of bread, pizza, and pie crusts, cookies, pancakes. Oh, acorn pancakes are a favorite of mine. Muffins. Uh, you could add it to soups or stews to make a nice hearty porridge. You can mix it into your morning oatmeal. I'm also told, I haven't tried this, but supposedly it's, it's possible to make a kind of tofu-like substance by baking acorn flour mixed with water. The flavor combinations are potentially limitless, but do keep in mind that acorn flour doesn't behave quite like other culinary flours you might have used in the past. So, you know, expect some trial and error. Don't be too sad if things don't go quite like you hoped they would <laughs> the first couple times. Just keep at it. You'll you'll get the hang of it. <laughs> I think once you get a hang of, of the unique properties of acorn flour, you will be really excited to find ways to add acorns to everything you cook. And yeah, that's it. That is how you eat acorns. As I mentioned before, there are many other ways of leaching out the tannins, but I think this is the best place to start. So yeah, give it a try. Let me know how it goes for you. If you have any questions about any of the stuff I went over today, please feel free to contact me. My email address is samuelsycamore at gmail.com. Large portions of today's show were derived from the materials that I have meticulously researched and written that I share with students in my Wild Food Mentorship Program. So, uh, yeah, if you like this episode, I, I think it ought to give you a pretty good idea of, of what you can expect if you hire me as your edible wild plant tutor. If you're in North America and you're interested in being a part of this 12-week program that I'm hosting from November 2019 through January 2020, you can find out more and fill out an application today by visiting thegoodliferevival.com slash mentor. And don't delay. I'm cutting it off at 20 students this time around. Uh, I believe over half of those spots are already filled as I'm recording this. The last day to submit an application is October 31st, 2019, but there's a good chance this is going to fill up before then, so be sure to get your application in at thegoodliferevival.com slash mentor. I really, truly believe that teaching people how and why to eat acorns is one of the most valuable things that I could possibly do with my time. And none of what I covered today is original or unique to me. You know, I don't, I don't own any of it. 
Uh, I'm not that creative. <laughs> but uh, this is one cultural tradition that, like I said, I, I think it extends way back to the roots of our, our common humanity. You know, it, it belongs to all of us. And I firmly believe that by reclaiming this ancestral food, we can all make our own lives, and by extension, the world itself, uh, just a little better. That's the Good Life Revival, baby. If you find this information valuable and you appreciate the way that I've presented it here for you today, I hope you will consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon at patreon.com slash goodliferevival. I don't love that I have to ask for money in exchange for this work, but it doesn't do me much good to try to argue with reality, right? So I present it to you here for free, forever. It is my gift to you, and you owe me nothing in return. But if you feel inclined to offer a gift in kind, I hope you'll consider pitching it financially, either on a monthly basis through Patreon, or else as a one-time contribution by visiting paypal.me slash goodliferevival. And you could think of that as my hat that I'm passing around through the crowd, right? As the lecture is coming to a close here. Uh, if you don't have any money, but you want to do me a solid, you could take a moment right now to leave a review and rating of the show through whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. I've seen a few really sweet ones come in in the last few weeks, so thanks so much to all of you all who take the time to do that. That old social proof really does help. That's it for this one. Until next time, this is your friend Sam Sycamore reminding you that a world of lovingly cultivated forest gardens is waiting right outside your door. Are you ready to step out? The Good Life Revival Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. You can pledge your support for the show at patreon.com slash goodliferevival or offer a one-time financial contribution at paypal.me slash goodliferevival. For more stories, perspectives, and knowledge encountered on the path back to nature, visit thegoodliferevival.com. And thank you for being here.